you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 27. The book of Proverbs chapter 27. Today's going to be simple and straightforward, and we're just going to look at one proverb, one verse. Verse 17. Probably one that many of you already know by heart, but one that is helpful and good for us to meditate on as we start the new year. So Proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, you didn't just save us individually. You saved us together. You brought us together. You bound us together. And you are redeeming us together. And one day we will be united together at the, at the wedding supper of the Lamb, all in worship of the risen Christ. So Father, we cannot experience or glimpse the, your kingdom here on earth Unless we're together. Unless we're united and bound. Unless we are pursuing and strengthening and sharpening one another. I pray, Father, that you would give us a vision for what that can look like this morning. I pray that you would burden our souls over it this morning. I pray that you would convict us, that, Lord, you would draw us into deeper and better and more life-giving friendships. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would make us better friends. That you would give us the kind of friendship with one another that you have offered to us in Christ. We ask these things now in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, we had a parenting conference here at the church, and the speaker, Randy Stinson, he said something that has stuck with me probably more than anything else from that particular conference. He said this, he said that the, the parents that he sees who are able to have a close relationship with their adult children are the parents who are able to nail the transition from authority to friend over time. What you think about that? The kind of parents that are able to have a close relationship with their adult children are the parents who are able, over time, to make the transition in their parent, in their child's life from authority to friend. And the reason that that stuck with me is because it has occurred to me that one day my children will have a choice as to whether or not they come around. One day my children will have a choice as to whether or not they call me. One day Josiah will have a choice as to whether or not I'm going to be a part of his life. Whether or not my advice is the kind of advice that he's going to seek. Whether my voice is going to be present in his life. One day my children are going to choose whether or not they want to be with us at Thanksgiving and at Christmas. One day they're going to decide whether or not I'm going to have a close relationship with my grandkids or not. Right now, my family's young. Right now, my kids, they have no choice. But one day, they're going, to cho they're going to choose. And so the desire that I have is that we would have the kind of family that doesn't just love each other, but that likes each other. That likes each other. 
we're in that role, you know, our, our kids are kind of stair-stepped. You know, we have nine, uh, almost six this week, and then one and a half. So we have these stair-stepped kids. And right now, they don't have a choice. They have to hang out with mom and dad. They, they, they think we're great because we tell them that we're great. You know what I'm saying? They don't have any choice. And we're not really in a friendship-type relationship at this point in our lives. We, we try to do fun things with our kids. We try to encourage them. But right now, we're an authority in their life. Right now, we have the role of disciplinarian in their life. Right now, we have the role of teacher in their life. We're training our children up in the way they should go, hopefully, trying to the best of our ability by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, living out that proverb, Proverbs 22.6, in our child's life. Like, that's our responsibility. But my goodness, I hope, I hope, when Gracie's 18, 19, 20. I hope when Sarah is 21, 22, 23. I hope that when Josiah is thinking about getting married, I hope he counts me as a friend. I hope he counts me as a friend. The dream that I have for my family is that we would be the kind of family that they would want to come home. They would look forward to being at home. They would choose to be with mom and dad. They would choose to be with one another. They want aunts and uncles a part of their child's lives and grandmom and granddad as a part of their child's lives. And, and, and I know, I'm just going to be frank with you, I know that even me saying that I'm opening up some wounds for some of you, and you, you did nothing wrong, okay? Children go sometimes the way they choose to go. And I want you to hear me say that I'm I'm not saying that you didn't nail the transition if you did that. You, you can do all the right things and sinful children will still rebel. Okay, I want you to hear me say that. But Proverbs allows for exceptions. Proverbs are writing about what is generally true. And what is generally true, what is generally true is if you're able to hit that transition from authority to friend, your kids, they're going to be a part of your life. What I think is powerful about that is I think that that is an illustration of how God intends for his family to work. I, I think that the kind of family that God intends for us to have is not just a bunch of loosely connected people that, that say that we love one another, that, that when we get that new commandment from Christ in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another. That he's not just talking about love in the, in the abstract, distant, at arm's length way, that he's talking about those kinds of families that choose to be with one another. That he's talking about those kinds of families that, that, that enjoy each other and want one another a part of their lives. Those kinds of families in which the young women go to the older women because they treasure the relationship that they have with the older women and they want their counsel. The kind, of, the kind of relationships in which the older men are able to speak words of accountability and truth and, 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 and life into the lives of, of the younger men because they have a friendship among one another. That there's not just love, there's like. There's, there's not just, there's not just by, by, by force or by relationship, but by choice that we're to be together. And I think that this is one of the primary reasons that one of the main themes of the book of Proverbs is friendship. Friendship among God's people. The book of Proverbs is a book that's primary, that was primarily written so that they could train up their young men, their young princes in the way that they should go, that they would understand that God has designed the world with a particular design and with particular wisdom, and that if you know that design and you understand that wisdom, then you can live life in a way that is skillful and apt and, and that you can thrive in the life that you have. And so there's a refrain that's found throughout the book of Proverbs that's where the, the sages are bringing the young men back time and again and saying, consider your friends. Consider your friends. Consider what kind of friends you are. 
Consider who's speaking into your life. Consider the relationships that you have. Consider whether you have those relationships at all because those relationships will largely determine the direction of your life. And that, I think, is at the forefront of exactly what is coming through in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. We're going to see three characteristics of a friend. And what I want you to understand is that the friendship that we see in the book of Proverbs is anchored and predicated upon the kind of friendship that God has offered to us. That he's teaching us in Proverbs how we can be friends with one another in the way that God has promised he is a friend to us. Listen to what it says so that we can see how this is framed up. It says in chapter 18 verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin. It means you can have friends and it not work out. You can have friends and not end up wise, especially if they're the wrong friends, especially if you're walking with the unwise, especially if you have advisors who don't walk in the fear of the Lord. But listen to what is certain. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You, you may run with fools and they may tell you foolish things. You may have friends that betray you and abandon you. You may have neighbors that stab you in the back and, and gossip about you. But there is a friend. There is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend that is a friendship that is offered to us from our Heavenly Father that shows us a pattern of characteristics that we are to experience and that we are to demonstrate and replicate in the life of all of our friendships. And so... 2717 is set with 1824 in the backdrop. So the first thing I want you to see, the first characteristic of friendship I want you to see is that friendship is a means of wisdom. Friendship is a means of wisdom. So as they often have to do, the Bible translators, they had to make some interpretive decisions in 2717 just so that it would make a little bit more sense to us, so that it would read naturally. So we read, iron sharpens iron, iron, and one man sharpens another. But it's actually a little bit more generic that if you were to read this literally in Hebrew, it would say something to the effect of, as one man sharpens the face of his friend. Now how about that? I wish the Bible talked like that. I think that'd be a little more exciting sometimes. That my job is to sharpen your face. Like, what's it talking about? What does that even mean? So, so when we're talking about face, what it's talking about is it's talking about a person's countenance. It's talking about their personality expressed, right? It's talking about the outflow of their character. And so when it talks about sharpening, a man sharpening the face of his friend, a, a, a man sharpening the the countenance, the personality, the, the expression of his character, what it's talking about is wisdom. That it's making it, that it's improving the character of his friend. That it's maturing the character of its friend. That he's strengthening the personality of his friend. That he's, he's rubbing out those rough edges that are, that are found there so that his friend can be more polished. So that his friend can be more able. So that his friend can be can be improved version of who and reach ultimately the design that God has established for him. That what we see in Proverbs chapter 27 is that sharpening is equated to with sharp is equated to wise. That, that the goal here is that you would make your friend wise and that your friend would make you wise. And it gets to why I think there is a refrain throughout the book of Proverbs, which is what? The wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Get these, this book of wisdom for us. There's a refrain throughout about friendship because friendship is a primary means of wisdom in our lives. 
Of course, of course, James teaches us that, that wisdom comes from above, that wisdom is a gift from God himself. But whenever there is a gift from God himself, whenever there is something that God is intending to bring into our lives, we ought to stop and ask, how is it that God has established that it come? How is it that God has, has designed that we might experience and know this gift? And what we learn is that one of the primary means by which God gives the gift of wisdom into your life is God brings wisdom into your life by bringing the right friendships into your life. That these friendships are intended to sharpen you and to mature you and to grow you. They're intended to help you identify where those rough edges are. They're, help, they're, they're there to, to help you become even more aware of the presence of God. Think about the definition of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7 it is the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom, right? So, so it's friendships that are intended to bring to you this, the thought of an awareness of God and living in the face of God. It's, it's, it's wisdom that, that helps you understand the way that the world is working and the way that, all the, that God has designed all things so that they work together. That these are the kinds of friendships that we're supposed to have in our lives that enable us to be able to see these things with greater clarity. You can think about what he says there, and I have it on the screen, Proverb 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise, you, you know, another way you could say it would be wise friends. Whoever has wise friends in their lives, whoever, has, whoever is walking with them consistently, going the distance with them, living through life with wise friends, becomes wise. But the companion of fools, the friend of fools, will suffer harm. So, so he says, so here's what he's saying, that I intend for you to become more than you already are. I intend for you to become sharper. I intend for you to become better. I intend for you to grow in life so that you don't suffer the way that you do as an older man like you did as a younger man. Everybody ought to say amen right there, right? I intend to protect you from some harm that is coming into your life. I intend to bring up some stop signs in your life that tell you that the bridge is out. I intend to, to bring some, some flags and raise some flags in your life so that you can know the way that you should not go. And how do I intend to do that? By enabling you to walk with the wise. By walking with the wise, you become sharper. You become mature. You become stronger. You become wise. It is a means of wisdom in our, in our lives. So that begs the question. We need to look at this from the flip side. What does that mean if we endeavor to live our lives by ourselves? What, what does that mean if we endeavor to be the kind of family that is reclusive from everyone else? What, what does that mean if we intend to be the kind of person that just sticks to our business and our business alone, sticks to our knowledge and our knowledge alone, sticks to our wherewithal and our wherewithal alone? Well, what happens with iron when you just leave it alone? It stays dull. It stays dull. It, it, it's not as useful as it ought to be. It doesn't ultimately become what it was intended to become. It doesn't become as wise as it was supposed to become. That's what gets to what the first thing was that was ever said isn't good in the Bible. Do you guys remember that? You, you, you Bible scholars out there, you already know where I'm going with this. What is the very first thing that was declared to be not good in the Bible? Remember, it was before sin. It was before there was corruption. It was before there was a curse. 
It was before there was problems in relationships. It was before there was problems in anything at all. Do you remember? God said, it is not good that man should be alone. In other words, in other words, we were engineered by God, designed by God in heaven, in his hands, knitted together in our mother's womb with an inherent need that is not sinful, that is not, uh, that is not problematic, that is not contrary to the design, that is not the result of sin, not the result of brokenness, not the result of the curse. We were engineered and designed by God to need each other. It is not good for man to be alone. You are not all that you need to be in and of yourself. You do not have have all the skills that you need to have. You do not have all the wisdom that you do need to have. That yes, yes, we were designed for relationship with God, but not only were we designed for relationship with God, we were intended to live in relationship with one another. That one of the ways that God always intended human beings to reflect his glory is just as the Trinitarian Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit exist in perfect relationship since all eternity past and going forward in all eternity future. So we were, as the image bearers of God, intended to be in relationship with one another in a way that is mutually beneficial, helpful, and reflective of the glory of God. You see, individualism, in the way that we've all come to understand it, we've all been trained up by a society that glorifies you being able to figure stuff out on your own. We've been trained up in a society that glorifies you being able to carve out your own path and figure out your own, tr- your own truth, your own version of the truth, to be able to live life on your terms and in your ways and following your heart and going wherever you... So that at the end of the, your life, you can look back at your child and you can say, look at what I did. Look at the life that I built. Look at how I was able to figure things out. Look at how I was able to, to blaze my own trail and define my own truth and go my own way. What Proverbs would say is not only are you selfish, but you are arrogant. You are arrogant. That you are actually living a life that is more difficult than the life that was intended to live. And you are living life more foolishly, duller than you were intended. That you are never going to reach the fullness of God's design for you in this world to reflect his glory by living a path that is carved out by your own wisdom and you going your own way. In fact, it brings us back to the text that I read to start the service this morning and the reason that I read it. James is often referred to by scholars as being the book of Proverbs in the New Testament. It's the New Testament verb of Proverbs, the, the wisdom book of the, of the New Testament, where it just kind of gets real and says, hey, this, if you want to live a, li- a, a good life, you want to live a thri- want to thrive in the design of God, this is what you ought to do. You remember what James says? James says that God, gives, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That is, that if you endeavor to live life on your terms, your way, isolated from friendship, isolated from other families, isolated from other men, isolated from other women, you intend to just go about your life, your way, on your terms, living it by your strength and in your wisdom, that you think in, other, that you think in and of yourself you are sufficient for the task that is ahead. You are a proud person, and not only are you going to suffer harm, not only are you headed in a direction and nobody can sound stop signs and nobody can bring accountability and nobody can speak truth into your life, but you are bringing into your life the active opposition of God because you are proud, and God opposes the proud. No, 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 no. 
It ought to remind us of our old friend, Tom Hanks. One of the most gut-wrenching scenes in any movie, to me, is when you see Wilson floating off. And he wants it. He's been there four years, and his only friend in the world is floating off into the deep, and he's just screaming, and he's crying out. And it seems so silly. Like, if I told you without any context that there was a man screaming out after a ball, you would think I was insane if I told you it moved me. But it moves you, doesn't it? Here he is stranded on this rock for four years, and he stumbles up on this volleyball. And his bloody hand puts a face on it, right? And he begins to draw it. He, he puts hair. And then everywhere he goes, he's talking. And he's venting. And he's asking for advice. And he's talking through plans. And it's a reminder, isn't it? It's a reminder that human beings were built for companionship. It's a reminder that even Hollywood wouldn't have realized it, but God has designed us with in his image, to be in relationship with one another, that we need people in our lives that give us wisdom and give us counsel and give us advice. We need people in our lives that can encourage us and spur us on. We need people in our lives that, that allow us to keep on going. We need people in our lives to remind us about the truth of God. We need people in our lives that will help us become who God has intended for us to become. We need to walk with the wise so that we can become wise. We need to be sharpened by our friends so that our personality and our our character is refined more and more into the image of God. Let me ask you, what kind of friends do you have? What kind of friends do you have? Do you have those kinds of friends in your life that are bringing wisdom in your life? Are you right now in your life, if you're honest with yourself before God, are you walking with the wise? Are you walking with the wise? Second characteristic I want you to see this morning is that friendship is within striking distance. Friendship is within striking distance. I want you to think about this. Iron sharpens iron, and so one man sharpens another. Now, what's the imagery there? What's the imagery there? The, The imagery there is you have two pieces of iron, and you're crashing them into each other, right? The, the, the imagery there is you have one piece of iron there and it's being struck by the other piece of iron. It's being hit by it. So, so there's a necessary proximity between these two pieces of iron so that they're able to help one another. That there is an inherent closeness between them that enables them to be, to be able to help one another and sharpen one another and make one another better. That You can't have two different pieces of iron on two different ends of the community and it be helpful at all. No, you have to walk with the wise. You have to be struck by the iron. The iron has to crash into one another. There has to be be an inherent closeness that's there among us. See, friendship, as the book of Proverbs understands it, requires you to actually know one another. Not on an acquaintance level. Not at the surface level. I'm not talking about knowing one another the way that you know who Abraham Lincoln is. I'm not talking about knowing one another like you know the guy that you work beside or, or eat lunch with at work. I'm not talking about knowing that kind of, in that kind of way. I'm talking about really knowing. Like you know what causes that person to tick. You know their strengths and their weaknesses. You know their vices and their virtues. You know the blind spots in their life. You're able to see from the outside what maybe they can't even identify from the inside. You, in some senses, know them better than they know even themselves. No, it's 
the kind of relationship that you can only have when, when you're close with one another. So that you can know in that person's life when, when they need encouragement and when they need correction. So, so that you can know in that person's life when they need to be picked up off the ground and dusted off. Or maybe they need a kick in the pants to keep on going and doing what God had called them to do. So that you know how to phrase up, frame up hard conversations with them that are necessary. So that you know the best way to get the truth into their heart. So that you know how to reach them with what you know they have to learn and what you know they have to hear. So that you can know how to help them overcome their desires of the, of the flesh and the sinfulness in their life. So that you can draw them by kindness toward repentance. See, I think primarily in view in 27.17 is a, an expansion on what he's already said just a few verses over earlier in the very same chapter in 27 chapter 6. He says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That I think what he has in mind when he talks about iron sharpening iron or a man sharpening the, the character and the countenance of a friend is I think he has in his mind that, that type of honesty that friends are able to have one another that, that can even talk about difficult things. That can even talk about problematic things. That can even talk about hurtful things. That, that friends are the kinds of people that know you well enough that they know when, you need to ha- when they need to have a conversation with you that may even hurt you. But because your good is prioritized over, over their own comfort and their own awkwardness and their own desire to avoid difficulty in their life, they're willing to have that conversation with you because, because why? Faithful. Isn't that a strange word to use? Faithful. In other words, what is faithful? It is taking a step to do something that requires faith to do it. It is taking something and doing something that is that most people, if they are left to their own devices, will avoid. It's doing something that requires faithfulness, diligence, prudence. And it's having the conversation that may very well be hurtful because ultimately it's helpful. See, what friendship is predicated on is friendship is predicated on being willing to hurt but never harm. Hurt but never harm. There's a difference, isn't there? That sometimes you have conversations with people and it shouldn't be often and it shouldn't be all the time and it shouldn't be, it, it shouldn't be a, a situation in which you're, you, you become a nag on somebody's life or a constant critic of, some, of someone's life. But, but, but on the mouth of a thousand compliments, occasionally ought to come some constructive criticism where we can improve one another and strengthen one another and sharpen one another and make one another better because faithful are the wounds of a friend. I think a good way for us to understand what I'm talking about is to think about the illustration of the life of Jesus. Think about what kind of friend Jesus was. I think about Jesus' relationship with Peter uh, particularly. Peter becomes the leader of the apostles. He is the man who preaches there at Pentecost. And I think about Matthew chapter 16, and, and Peter says, and I, is the first of the disciples to so identify Jesus as the Christ. And Jesus says, man, this came from the Father above. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And he encourages and, and, and builds up Peter and, and talks about the, the important role that Peter's going to play in the future of the church. And then in the very same chapter, just a couple of verses later, Jesus begins to reveal the truth about his crucifixion and about his death. And Peter says, no, it will never be. You will not die. You are going to be the king. Do you remember what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, Satan. You are doing the work of our enemy, not, not, not the Father's work here. 
Don't you imagine that was hurtful? I think about the end of John. You remember uh, Jesus is being crucified and Peter denies Jesus three different times. And John even identifies that, that Peter looks up and he makes eye contact with Jesus on the cross and he weeps bitterly. He's hurting. He's broken. He realizes that even in that look, there is, there is a rebuke from Jesus, that, 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 or a reminder from Jesus that you've betrayed me. You've abandoned me. But Jesus goes to restore Peter. And you remember what he does? Three different times. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he gets to that final time and Peter says, I'm hurt, Jesus. I'm hurt. Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that I care about you? But what was Jesus doing? Jesus was forging his character. Jesus was transforming who Peter was by being the friend that Peter needed. He brought hurt into Peter's life, but it was temporary hurt for ultimate help. He would not bring harm into his life. And so a friend is the kind of person that can have a hard conversation respectfully, helpfully, gently, winsomely, kindly, lovingly, but tells you with blunt honesty exactly what you need to hear so that walking with the wise, you can become wise. Think about my life and some of the watershed moments in my faith in which God did some of the greatest work were when some people said things I wish they would have never said. You ever had that experience? I can think about one experience early in my ministry. I had a, a friend who was much farther along in ministry and, and, and much more mature and seasoned in ministry. And one day he called me into his office and he said, the Lord's just put something on my heart I need to tell you. People find you arrogant and unapproachable. And he said it lovingly. He said it caring about what, he said, man, I, I care about where you end up. And I care about what God's going to do in your life. And I believe that God's going to do some great things in your life. And I, I, can, I can see just so much potential about what might happen. But I'm telling you right now that people see you as being arrogant and unapproachable. You want to know how I responded? I was angry. I was angry. I was frustrated. In other words, I responded the way an arrogant man would, Right? I responded the way an arrogant man would. But over time, the Holy Spirit began to massage those words into my heart. And you know what I realized? He was dead on. He was 100% right. And what was needed in my life was repentance. I can think of another instance where another, a different close friend few, several years ago, he hung around me, spent a lot of time. He, he was walking with me in everyday life. You know what he said to me? I didn't appreciate the way that you talked to your wife last night. You know what I said? How dare you interrupt my marriage? How dare you? Who do you think you are? You're not even married. And then the Holy Spirit began to convict me and massage those words into my heart and the wounds of a friend are faithful. And you know what I realized? He was right. He was right. I needed to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. I needed to hear it. I needed a friend who was in my life, who cared about my marriage, who cared about me, who cared about me and my marriage more than he cared in that moment about my feelings so that, so that I could become wiser and sharper and better so that I could be refined. See, it's the very reason that we need friendship that we so often resist it. 
We, we know that we need someone to bring and speak the truth to us, but we don't want them to come in and to speak the truth to us. We know we need people in our life that will speak bluntly and honestly to us with gentleness and kindness and love and all of that and, and all of the encouragement that comes through. But we know we need that in our lives, but we are resistant because we do not want the hurt. And by not wanting the hurt, what we are ultimately saying is, God, I do not want more of you. I do not want to be closer to you. I do not want to know you more. I do not want to reflect you more clearly to the people that are in my life. Lord, I want to remain dull. I wonder in your life, who's within striking distance? Who's within striking distance? Who can tell you the truth? Who can tell you, in the, tr- who can tell you the truth? Who can hold up the caution signs in your life to protect you from the danger that is ahead so that you can become wise? final characteristic that I want you to see is that friendship is a two-way street. Friendship is a two-way street. It's really, I put a big lump of iron ore here on the screen because I think we need to be reminded of what a, a humbling comparison it is to say that we've been compared to iron. Dense, thick, heavy iron, okay? We're not exactly being compared to a bald eagle here. You know what I'm saying? Like th- th- this, isn't, this isn't the essence of wisdom and strength. This is dullness at its finest. If you have a piece of iron, a hunk of iron, a lump of iron like this, and it's left alone, what good is it? I guess you could throw it in the lake. I guess you could throw it and hit somebody in the head. But it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't accomplish much. The only way that iron becomes anything is in the hands of a skilled tradesman. That, that tradesman that takes it and with intentionality and focus and concentration and skill, he heats it and strikes it and he heats it and he strikes it and he heats it and he strikes it. He, he melts away all of the impurity so that what is left is what is supposed to be left. And the shape that is there is the shape that is helpful. But in the hands of a skilled tradesman who heats it and strikes it and heats it and strikes it and sharpens it and sharpens it, it becomes a weapon, a sword through which wars can be won. That which was useless and pointless in the hands of the right one can become something that is used to overcome evil for good. That's the idea of Proverbs. That in the hands of God, friends can be used in one another's lives so that they become instruments that are useful and helpful for his glory. Useful and helpful in unveiling his kingdom. Useful and helpful in revealing his glory and revealing the goodness of all that is there. But think about the way that it says that the Lord is is refining us. He's taking two pieces of iron, two people who left alone are pretty useless and powerless in and of themselves, and the Lord himself is taking them and he's heating them and he's striking them together. That we're being crashed together, but it's not random, and it's not incidental, and it's not accidental, and we're not just knocking chunks off of one another. That there is a skilled skilled tradesman that is doing the exact strike at the exact time, in the exact way, with the exact person that we need so that we can become wise in the way that God has set before us to become wise. But the idea here is that you have two pieces of iron, and they're sharpening each other. Do you see this? 
is iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So, so you have two men, and the men are anonymous. And so you can have one person being sharpened on one day and one person doing the sharpening, and then it's like they switch. They can be, the, the, the men can change positions. And one day he's sharpening, and the next day he's being sharpened. And, and one day he's striking, and the next day he's being struck. There's this two-way street, this mutually beneficial relationship that the friends have in which sometimes they're doing the striking and sometimes they're being struck. Sometimes they're being sharpened and sometimes they're doing the sharpening. That's the picture of what friendship is supposed to look like. Friendship is meant to be a two-way street, mutually beneficial in one another's life so that you are adding value and life and skill and help to one another. You know, I find it true that for a lot of people, they want to have friends but they don't want to be friends. They want to have friends, but they don't want to be friends. Why? To be a friend means I have to take responsibility for your life. To be a friend means that I have to take responsibility for what happens to you. I have to take responsibility. I have to add you and and allow you to be an in-position in my calendar. I have to allow you to be an in-position into my life. I have to go ahead and recalibrate the way that I'm living so that you have space to live my life with me. It's not that I just come to you you every time I need something and expect you to acquiesce to me. It's you come to me when you need something and I'm there. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping up with what's happening in your life. That there's this mutually beneficial where sometimes I'm consuming and sometimes I'm contributing. Sometimes I'm sharp, being sharpened and sometimes I'm doing the sharpening. Where we're, we're growing and, and strengthening one another and taking responsibility for each other so that you become wiser and I become wiser. So that you become sharper and I become sharper. It makes me think about a family I talked to several years ago. Several years ago, I had this family, and they would come, and they would over and again, they would say, I can't make friends. I can't make friends. I can't make friends. In fact, they'd come from other churches, and they had told me in the, in the membership interview the very same thing about the other churches. The other churches, I never made friends. I could never make friends. And so I tried to facilitate relationships and friendships for them to have within the church. And I would, I would set this up, and I would set that up, and it would never last, and it would never work. And so finally, after hearing them talk about it and talk about it and talk about it, I went, I did some digging. And I started asking some of the, and following up on some of these relationships that I tried to, tried to frame up for them. You know what I found out? Is that in every situation, they had high expectations of their friends, but zero contribution. Over and over, they expected their, their friends to show up and to, to inconvenience themselves. They were quick to rebuke the sin that they saw in the lives of their friends. They were quick to, to point out the flaws that they found in their friends. They were quick to call in favors. They were quick to, to ask for need. But they were never there when the friend needed them. They were there, never there to contribute anything. And look, there are seasons in our lives in which all of us come and we are more takers than givers. There are seasons in our lives in which we just need more than we, ought, we, we typically need. But it cannot be the entirety of the relationship. If you look at the King James Version, chapter 18, verse 24, where I started with, you know what it says? It says some version of this. It says that he who has friends finds himself friendly. Friendly. 
friendly in the way that Proverbs understands friendliness. Friendly in that I'm willing to invest my life. Friendly in that I'm willing to contribute to you. I'm willing to to be a part of you. I'm willing to live close to you. I'm willing to, to give of myself. I'm willing to have difficult conversations. I'm willing to be an encouragement to you. I'm willing to be a part of your life. I'm willing to be your friend. I'm not just being nice. I'm being friendly. I'm in your life. So I think there's a space here this morning which we need to ask whether or not we're friendly. Are you friendly? You probably want friends, I'm sure. But are you willing to be a friend? Are you willing to sacrifice in that way? Are you willing to pay that price? See, that's that's the exact thing that Jesus teaches us, isn't it? That for Jesus to live in a relationship with us, he had to pay a price, the ultimate price, in a relationship that is truly one way from him to us. But he demonstrates for us what it means to have a friend that sits closer than our brother. For he offered himself and paid the price that he might enter into a relationship with us. If every single one of us approached each other the way that Jesus has approached us and we walk in his way, then what we will have is we will have friendships in our life that will make us stronger and better and wiser. So there's a particular application that I want to make this morning. We have about 140 people in our church that attend worship regularly but are not in any kind of group. And what I dream of for our church, when I, when I came here eight years ago, eight and a half years ago now, the dream that I have is that we're going to be a family. We're, we're not just going to be a gathering of people. We're not just going to be a big crowd that comes together. There, there's a lot of those. I have no interest in being a part of a crowd. Crowds are meaningless. Crowds are just faces. Crowds are anonymous. What we're going to be is we're going to be a family, a family where we're a part of each other's life, where we're committed to each other's lives, where we love one another, where we know what's going on. And Sundays, Sundays, that's just the reunions. That's just the gathering of the family around the dinner table so that we can spend time together. But just like I am with mine and Megan's family, I want the kind of family that doesn't just love each other, but likes each other. I want the kind of family that doesn't just have some kind of loose obligation to each other, but the kind of family that chooses to be with one another and know one another and walk with one another and love one another and pray with one another and cry with one another. I want the kind of family that brings wisdom into your life. I want the kind of family that, that you live closely with. I want the kind of family where it's a, it's a two-way street with the relationships and, and you're making one another smart or wiser and, and sharper and stronger in the faith where you're improving each other. And in our church, the place where our family becomes friends is in connection groups. The place where our church family gathers around small tables to to really get to know one another and be a part of a life is is there in in connection groups. And I know many of you have probably tried them, and maybe that wasn't your experience. Maybe that's not what you had that. We've talked as as the leaders of our groups, and that's the goal that we're set before. Like, that's the ideal. And I'll tell you, we're not there yet, but we're trying. And we got people, men and women in our church, that are are trying, and they want to facilitate these kinds of of connections and groups in, uh, in our connection groups. And so what I'm asking you to do is if you would go all in and you would have this kind of vision in front of you that you would say I want to walk with the wise so that I can become wise I want to have people that are within arm's length that are within striking distance of my life so that they can come in and bring accountability and help so that I can reach out and take hold of somebody when I need to pray so that I can be a friend to them so that I can add value to their life so that I can minister to them none of you needs another thing on your calendar 
None of you needs more busy work. None of you needs another meeting to go to. None of you needs another classroom that you've got to sit through. What you need, though, is friends. You need friends. You need friends that love Jesus. Friends that are not the companion of fools, not the, the people of the world, not the people that are going to give you the world's advice and go in the world's way. What you need is people who are walking with the Lord to come in beside you and to walk with the Lord with them. And so what we've done is we're focusing on, on making our connection groups better. Some of you, you, you've kind of went to one and you said, man, that group's just been together for a very long time. And they're, they are wonderful people and God-loving people. But like, I just feel like I'm having trouble breaking through. You know what we're doing? We're starting five new groups in February. Five new groups. If you want to get in one from the ground up, you can do that. And, and, and you come in and, and, and did you know that probably about a third of our church has been here for about a year and a half or less? A third, a third of you. So you're sitting there and you're thinking, I feel like the new person. Guess what? Everybody in here feels like the new person. Everybody, it's like 70% of our church has been here five years or less, okay? We, we, have, we have some long-term members, and I praise God because it's that core that has allowed us to be able to move forward. But the majority of you are, are new, and you're waiting on people that have been here a long time to reach out. And there's just not enough of them to reach out to as many of y'all. And so what we've got to have is all of us to have this collective vision where we go all in together. And we say, I am determined to be a friend to my family. I am determined to get to know them and for, for them to know me. I'm determined to be the kind of person that speaks wisdom into their life so that they can speak wisdom into my life. And so we've tried to make it simple for you. Here's what we've done. All of you should have received a handout as you came through the door. If you didn't receive a handout as you came through the door, you can get one as you exit. I hear this all the time, and I feel this. Like, this morning, Candace, I'm so sorry. I introduced myself to somebody that I know has been coming here for a very, very, very long time. And I'm just like, it's not just you, man. It's not just you. That's what I'm saying. And so many times you're like, I, I, I think I would like to be in that person's group, but like, I don't, I know name or face. I don't know face. I know name. And like, so, so what we've tried to do is we've tried to give you the face and the name so that you can see the people that are, group, that are starting groups. Now, we've, and then we've revamped it. So some, we're going to have five different categories that you can answer. And we've got all the information that's there on the group. So we have the age range. So you can find an age, whether or not that's, that's a good fit for you. We have some groups are going to meet here on campus at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Some groups are going to meet off campus, in homes. You know what? I don't care where you meet. I want you to meet, become friends, and talk about the Bible. That's what I want. It doesn't matter where to me. Like, that's inconsequential. So for some of you, it's a long drive for you to get to church. And maybe it would be better if you had somewhere close to home so you'd have to get up so early to be here. There's advantages to that. Being in home, you might be able to talk a little bit longer and go a little bit deeper. But there's advantages to being on campus too. We have kids ministry on campus. We have youth ministry on campus. And you may want them to be able to be a part of that. And it, it simplifies that. It, it's, it's right here at one block of time. And so you can contribute that. But what, we're, what we want you to do is be able to make the decision of what's the best fit for you. Some of them are going to meet every single week of the year. Save maybe one or two. Others are going to meet semester-based. And they're going to go from like February to May and then like September to November. And so you would say, you know what, one of those fits me better. Like I like the, I like the routine. I like the discipline of coming every week. I like that. Maybe you want to be a part of that. Or maybe you would say the semester really fits the ebb and flow of my life really well. And those other times get kind of chaotic or I'm out of town a lot and semester-based fits me well. That's fine. Whatever fits you best. What we've done is we've cre tried to create a system that allows our leaders to have be able to have the flexibility to design a group that fits their ability, their gifts, and their calling specifically. Because it takes all kinds of groups to reach, connect, and befriend all kinds of people. Then you'll see 
that, that you'll have the type of study that's there. Some are, te- are teaching through books of the Bible. Some are doing topical studies. Some are doing like a gospel project curriculum. All of those are really good. And all of those fit different personalities and different types. And you just got to decide, like, what, what helps me? What, what, what sharpens me the way iron sharpens iron in the most helpful way? What's my learning style? You'll see some are discussion-based. Some are more teacher-driven. What, what do you enjoy more? We've given you glimpses of their personalities. This isn't about consumeristic Christianity. That's not our goal here. What we want to do is be able to tailor groups to specific leaders and to be able to tell take those specific leaders and then tailor them to your learning style, to your friendship style, so that you can find somebody that speaks your love language that with you can connect so that your, your fellowship is still centered on the Word, your fellowship is still centered on the Holy Spirit, it's still built around the church. It's just we've changed some of the things that are negotiable while keeping all of the non-negotiables. And so what I want to ask you to do, what I want to ask you to do is if you're not currently committed as in going at least twice a month to a connection group, I want to ask you to pray about the possibility of signing up for a new group. We're going to kick this off. We're going to do sign-ups over the next three weeks leading up to the first week in February. And we've got all of our groups in the, on the back tables. We have You'll see there's two table, sets of tables. Those two sets each have the same groups on them on opposite sides. We have them divided by those that meet on campus and those that meet in home. And I want you to pray about the possibility of signing up for a group so that you can begin the process of befriending people in your life. Some of those groups are, have been going for a long time and some of those groups are starting out brand new. But there is a group back there in which God has intended for you to be a part so that you can continue to have wisdom and accountability brought into your life. And so what I'm asking you is, is, is not to add another classroom, not to add another meeting to your, to your day. We've talked about this as teachers. What I'm asking you to do is to add space in your calendar, space in your life, to walk with the wise, to walk with the wise, to make friends. And we are going to do everything in our power. God is our witness. It's going to take us a minute to get there, but we're going to do everything in our power to make it worth your time and to make sure that people are not falling through the cracks so that you are loved and cared for. If you will come in intent on being a friend, I am convinced that you there will find friends. And so can I just ask you, would you pray about the possibility of thinking and, 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 and signing up for a group? Some of you, you've been coming for a while and you've thought, I don't know how to break in. I don't know how to, to, to build relationships. This is where our church family becomes friends. Some of you used to come really regularly, but COVID and this, all the weirdness and you've kind of fallen out of the habit. Look, I get it. I get it. Those muscles atrophy after a while. Would you see this as a call back to center and re-engage with your group and recommit to your group? Because I'm convinced that the best days of Iron City Baptist Church are ahead of her and that we're going to see more people reached, more people discipled, and more people sent to the ends of the earth. And that happens by having the right infrastructure, the right group structure so that we can come together and grow together as friends. And by growing together as friends, we increase our ability to grow broader and broader and reach more and send more and love more and care for more because God is not going to send us more people than we can love. God is not going to send us more people than we can befriend. And so Iron City, let's have the vision. Let's have the vision to connect together so that we can be wise, close, and friends. Let's pray together this morning. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. 
You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.